Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week is a special week for me. One of my all-time heroes of IoT commentary and journalism is on the show. So we have Stacy Higginbotham, who um who writes the column Stacy on IoT. Uh, she does the Internet of Things uh, podcast with Kevin Tofel, and uh, uh, it's probably the best show you can listen to in terms of keeping up with what's going on in IoT. They do news, uh, whereas we do kind of these deep cuts into specific topics. Uh, and and uh, um, so what we do is different to what she does. She has loads and loads of listeners and uh um, I really enjoyed being interviewed by her the other day and used the opportunity to invite Stacy onto this show. We're going to talk about a lot of interesting stuff. IoT standards, uh, for those of you who are a little shaky on what's the difference between Sidewalk and LoRa and what is Matter and how is interoperability in the Internet of Things going to play out, we talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about privacy. Uh, Stacy is keen on it. And uh, so am I. Uh, but we have slightly different views. And it was great to hear her perspective uh, on that topic. And um, we're also going to talk about the future. And what better uh, person to prognosticate on the future than someone that is uh, constantly analyzing this ecosystem. So hope you enjoy the show. Uh, have a listen to Stacy on IoT on the Mr. Beacon podcast. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot, intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. Stacy, thank you so much for coming on to the, the, the Mr. Beacon podcast. I, this is definitely a landmark for me. Um, so I am, so many things I'd love to pick your brains on you and Kevin spend uh, more time than most looking at this landscape that we all operate in, and you have a great perspective. Um, uh, so uh, I wanted to ask you about IoT standards, uh, and this is actually a topic that we haven't really gone into. There's a few that have caught my eye that I think uh, are relevant, and I know that you've been covering them, and I wanted to start off with Sidewalk. And uh, can for our listeners, can you explain a little bit about what Sidewalk is to start off with? Sure. So Sidewalk is Amazon's answer to creating a low-power wide area network. And I'm sure your audience is very familiar with this concept, but just overview, we need a cheap, 
easy way to connect devices to the internet. And low power WANs are really an interesting option there. So Sidewalk is an option. There are other proprietary options like Sigfox. Um, oh, my goodness. Laura? Well, okay, so Laura's a little weird. So there's Laura Wan, and there's lots of options there, like uh, Senate, Helium, and those all, they're less proprietary, we'll call it. Like mm -hmm. Laura Wan is a standard that people are applying to devices and networks, and that's good. Um, there's also Laura, which is the 900 megahertz radio that Laura Wan is based off of. So Sidewalk actually can run over a LoRa network. And if you, you know, the Mac, the OSI stack, so you've got, you know, your different network layers. Sidewalk is like an app. I don't think it's actually an application level layer, but it's, it's one up there. And mm -hmm. what it is, is it's a protocol that can run over LoRa. It can actually also run over Bluetooth. And it's Amazon's way of hiding data packets. So you can't understand where the, what's in the data packet and where it's come from. And, they put all of that on whatever radio they choose, and voila, they have an Amazon-powered low-power WAN. Mm -hmm. The brilliance of what Amazon has done here is people hate this, but they put it in Echo devices, and then they turned it on. because and Suddenly, they've got a large coverage area because you know tens of millions of people have bought Echo devices. People hated it. They felt like it was invading their privacy. It's not. But... It, the biggest issue with any low-power wide area network is that it costs money to build a network. That's with any network, right? It costs mm -hmm. so much money, and then you've got to make up, you know, you've got to charge people equivalent amounts of money for maintaining that infrastructure, and there's just no way for the IoT when we want to, like, talk to a smoke detector for, like, two cents, right? No. Right. Okay. So that's Sidewalk in a nutshell. Wonderful. And I think... Uh... These standards are a little bit like soap operas. They kind of uh, appear. They, 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 there are people fighting against them. There are people fighting for them. So there's, you have the conflict aspect. And then there's the uncertainty. Uh, you know, are they going to get killed off after the first season? Or are, they, are we into a long run here? So um, what do you think the future of Sidewalk is? Do you think this is one of these things that is actually going to stick with us? Or is this one of these IoT standards that's going to kind of disappear? Will it be silently? a WiMAX? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is hard. Had you asked me six months ago when Amazon was kind of launching it, I would have said, mm. oh, yeah, this is going to be everywhere because it's Amazon. Yes. And their pricing for sidewalk data is really interesting. You know, they're, they've already got the coverage. But so far, Amazon, the launch went very badly. People try, people, huge kerfuffle, many people opted out. How many? I don't know. I've asked mm -hmm. Amazon. Uh, they won't tell you. <laughs> In case you're wondering, they won't tell me. Maybe they'll tell you. I've asked people who are building for Amazon Sidewalk. Most of them are not choosing Sidewalk. It's too uncertain for them. Mm. And so I feel like there's a lot more uncertainty. And in the meantime, like Helium has expanded their LoRaWAN network. They did the deal with Senate and Actility to have those devices work on their network. And so now I feel like that's kind of a viable option. I should also say, I run a Helium miner, which means that I make Helium tokens when mm -hmm. people get excited about Helium. But I'm not, I'm not saying this because I make money. I'm saying mm -hmm. this because I really genuinely think it's a really 
they're doing well. So, well, one of the folks in our office is doing the same thing, and he's become a great evangelist. I think it's a really interesting, fascinating concept to uh, to tie it's a in really uh, interesting a network model. with, with uh, cryptocurrency. Can you just go back a bit on Helium? So you've introduced it as a potential contender. Can just explain a little bit more for someone that's never cross, come across Helium. What is it? So Helium is building a decentralized LoRaWAN network. They do this by selling people. Well, they don't actually sell them anymore, but they provide the the code to run on a miner box. Like a, it's a hotspot mm-hmm. that also mines Helium's cryptocurrency. That hotspot uses the homeowners or the mm-hmm. business owners' Wi-Fi as backhaul and provides a LoRaWAN signal out. In return, anytime you transfer packets, you provide proof of coverage, you get a small fraction of what they call a Helium network token. And those can be exchanged for uh, money, Mm -hmm. (laughs) dollars if you're into it, or you can exchange them to buy data credits on the Helium network. So people who use a lot of Helium might want to run miners and that's kind of what senate and actility are doing they're they brought their miner or brought their hotspots onto their network and are now part of it so so what what are the relative costs of using sidewalk uh, versus helium then uh, d- didn't you say that sidewalk was free Sidewalk is not free. So pricing for AWS for their LoRaWAN messaging pricing and this is this is I what we assume our sidewalk. Amazon has not made sidewalk fully open to all developers yet, so it's not mm-hmm. GA. But you can do up to a billion messages for two dollars and thirty cents per million. Okay. Um, so that's freaking cheap. Um, with Helium, you have to buy data credits, and that's a little bit more of a. There's a the weird thing there but it, again it's like less than five cents to send you know messages uh in like a lot of messages okay so they're both pretty cheap but seems like sidewalk is uh is is cheaper it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out what about matter this is a different thing but uh um it's something that i know you talk about so but we don't so if you could get us all catch us up on matter that would be great Okay, Matter. This is for the smart home mostly. You will talk to people about Matter and they're like, oh, it's for businesses, it's for smart buildings. Maybe. We'll wait on that. But 100% Matter is for the smart home. What it is, is an interoperability layer for a subset of smart home devices. Way back in December 2019, Google, Amazon, Apple, and Nope, that's it. Google Apple, all, and Samsung. Okay, the big four. They got together and they were like, hey, nobody's buying smart home gear because they're like, does this work with Madam A? Does this work with Hey G? And mm. people hated it. And they were like, okay, we're going to create a way for these things to talk to each other because we really need to sell all this stuff we've built. So that's the cynical version. Um, mm-hmm. Then the pandemic happened. It's taken a little bit longer. Matter will be formally announced sometime in the first half of next year, ideally the first quarter. And what it will do is it's really a data model that 
it talks using it'll work over thread for small data rate or small data packets in battery powered devices and Wi-Fi for things that need more power consumption and more bandwidth. So those are the two radio standards that Matter is going to work on. And what it will do is it shares a data model for how certain devices look and what they do. So you can be a light bulb and all light bulbs will now be like, I am a light bulb. I turn on, I turn off. Here's my RGB color scale. And all of that is common across all the many different kinds of light bulbs out there. And that way for consumers, you know, your goo, any matter supported devices will be supported like on your HomePod, on Siri, on Google, on Amazon's Echoes, and it'll be great. There's a bunch of butts. Do you want to talk about the butts? I do want to talk about the butts because, yeah, I'm a um, home automation enthusiast, uh, got into it at X10, then got kind of disillusioned, came back to it. And I, I'm just constantly caught. But I just bought some home pods, not home pods, the, the, the Apple speakers that sound fantastic. And I'm the home pod minis. These, yes. They yes, they're lovely. Amazing. Uh, we're going to dot them all around the Williot office, in fact, just to kind of have the extend the sound from our gramophone player, which is at, at one end, because I just love the sound so much. Um, but I'm not taking them home because home is Alexa and uh, a bit of Google. And I, it's like bringing these feuding families together is a nightmare. So I'm really hoping that uh, the matter is going to put an end to that. And so I'm, I'm interested in the but. So what's the but? Okay, there are a couple. <laughs> One, it's not actually out yet. Matter is releasing a full SDK, which means that when it launches, it's going to launch really for anybody to easily develop on, theoretically. We don't know. It hasn't launched. So we don't exactly know how all of it's going to work. We do know that Bluetooth will be used for provisioning, but not for other things. And that means anybody who's got devices that run on like Bluetooth today, like your Bluetooth light bulbs, they're not going to be matter certified going mm -hmm. forward. Um, even some devices, the thread radio uses the same underlying phi layer as Zigbee. And that means if you have a Zigbee radio in your device, it might be upgradable to matter, but that's dependent on the manufacturer. It's dependent on how much memory and all these things, right? So some of your Zigbee devices may not be upgradable, which means whole hunks of your smart home may not work with matter. So that's mm -hmm. one. Two, not all the devices you might expect will work with matter. So matter will not work with like appliances. It will not work with cameras. And that includes like video doorbells. And it will not work with, oh, there's one other thing it doesn't work with. Oh, wearables. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's still a huge category of things it is going to work with, but you know, cameras are really important in the smart home. I really would love for like my Fitbit to talk to my home and have it tell mm -hmm. things, but not not today, not with matter. So those are the big buts. So what, what can we expect interoperability between the uh, the the Apples, the the Googles, uh, and the Amazons? I feel like this is a Shakespearean uh, feud that uh, is constantly going on. Will it ever come to an end? Will they ever live in harmony? What is likely to happen? is in your home, you may have your, like if I, like you are a Google and Amazon home and like my colleague Kevin is a HomeKit home. 
you will be, both of y'all will be able to buy the same devices. And if they're matter compliant, they will work within each of your homes. Theoretically, you can have multiple devices in your home and it should be easy to add those devices and control them from one place, but you're still going to have to pick your one place. So is your one place going to be Amazon? Is it going to be Google? And there are going to be, I mean, I expect no shortage of glitches and weirdness simply because you already have that today in the smart home. So the answer is yes, but it's not going to be magic. I get it. It's reality. Shucks. Um, I know. Okay. We've got a few more minutes of your time and I want to use it wisely. So we've been talking about IoT standards. I still want to talk a bit about privacy because I feel like you have strong feelings on that and, edu and you're educated on it. And I want to get some predictions for the future from you as well. So privacy, um, before we leap into it, how do you feel about all those cookie notices that pop up on every website that you go to? It was so misguided. It's so sad. I'm sorry, EU. You tried so hard. Um, yeah, that, that didn't work. But so broadly, I have real issues with privacy. And I think everybody does. Because mm -hmm. one, I don't think people are, are aware of how intrusive IoT can be. Mm -hmm. And I think in some cases, we're worried about the wrong things. So like we spend a lot of time worrying about cameras mm -hmm. and I get it because no one wants your naked pictures on the internet, but we don't spend a lot of time worrying about things like uh, RF based wireless detection systems that are being put in alarms or like, you know, we're talking about using like fall detector detectors that are like 60 gigahertz and those don't create like naked pictures that can be put on the OBEP, but the computer is trained. Those algorithms are trained to understand what you're doing and I always tell people, I'm like, look, if they wanted mm -hmm. to, they could create an algorithm for mm -hmm. having you pick your nose, right? And then they could see when you're picking mm -hmm. your nose, because that's something probably nobody wants people to see. Uh, and the same thing goes for things like radar with like Soli and all the microphones that are we're putting in our homes. And so that's one thing. I feel like we don't really understand what we're bringing into our homes. I don't mind that as much because I think we're seeing a shift, and this will be, count this as one of my predictions, a shift towards local processing. So thanks to machine learning algorithms that are getting better at running at the edge and a shift in thinking, Amazon, well, Google and Apple, Apple's always been aggressive. Google's getting aggressive. A lot of this data is going to happen at the edge. So then we don't have to worry about it going anywhere. And that's great. Because the, the next aspect of privacy that is a problem to me is that this data isn't just staying with a company. These companies, they're not securing it, and they're also selling parts of it. And they're saying they're selling it in a de-anonymized fashion, but that's not true anymore because you mm -hmm. can, you can, or in an anonymized yes. fashion, and you can de-anonymize it. And so there there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. But bottom line is, if, I, if I'm talking about this with people, I just give people informed consent about what they're buying. So list your sensors, list the, the privacy practices you follow on the device. You as a buyer, so in your home, before you bring something in, talk to the people and tell them, hey, this device listens to everything that you say. And then, you know, from there, get their buy-in. So that's kind of a lot. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. It is, but I mean, it's so important, isn't it? And on one hand, I see, I, I fear that, uh, you know, business models will be crushed. Good ideas won't come to life. But I also think that... Uh, Unless there are rules of the road, then, uh, you know, we can only expect, uh, um, you know, bad things will happen. And it seems like we're not we're, – fortunately, we're in such a joined up world that GDPR really protects all of us because no one can really uh, – uh, maybe well, that's not completely no, true. No, but it I was like, I can tell from your accent it protects you and maybe not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Well, what I would say is – the Internet of Things makes the invisible visible. And that is both a huge blessing and it is a curse, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you want people to embrace the full benefits, so things like personalized medicine, being able to reduce your carbon footprint by pulling in information from around you to like tell you, hey, this is where you should go or what you should do. If you want us to take that, you have to also guard against the negative use cases and the punitive use cases. And we don't have a very sophisticated understanding of that, like in economics, in building policy. So, you know, our our carrots are pretty much like cheaper stuff and our sticks are like, you go to jail. <laughs> we need we need better stuff there. Better mm. better regulatory incentives, I get regulations and incentives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as as someone that's working in a startup, I, I think we have to take the high road. Otherwise, we won't be given permission to do the fun stuff. Uh, and, and people will find out. Uh, the, the old days of hiding what you were going to do in the small print are over. And thanks to crowdsourcing, your privacy policy will be read, maybe not by 99% of the people, but the 1% will. And they'll tell the 99% if they're... Uh, going to get abused. And then if you don't do what you say you're going to do, you're going to get into trouble. And so uh, I wish people would just behave well, but uh, they don't always. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I want to get your view on the future. Where are we going? And I had one specific question was, because you cover a bit of, well, you cover a lot of home automation, but you also cover the industrial and enterprise side of things. Do you? What do you see as the crossover between those in the future? Are they? Uh, what's the relationship? Are they? Will they always remain separate, or are they destined to meld together? I mean, mostly I hope so that they stay separate because, like, I don't want my personal data going into the bottom line of most of these companies. But 
I, I think the places where we're going to see them near-term crossover are things like matter. Matter wants to be, you know, if you think about the sensors that could be truly interoperable, you can start building sensors into your house. You'll also build them into campuses, into factories, and you'll be able to take advantage of that data for things like lighting, better HVAC. I don't know what else, uh, cleaner air quality. Um, so I think we'll start seeing crossovers in terms of energy intelligence, security, um, some health and wellness, maybe people tracking, um, crossing over between the two. And then I do think on the industrial and enterprise side, we are seeing much more sophistication thanks to thanks to time passing, honestly, but also COVID really acting like a kick in the pants for everybody to get on. Oh my gosh, we got to do all we can. People aren't coming into the office. We need ways to get out to them and let them do their jobs. We need to attract people. There's a lot of uh, what are the forward momentum towards digitization there. Very good. And any other thoughts on what the future holds for us? Any other predictions you'd like to share? It's always tough. It's always tough. I know. I I feel very down on IoT, and it feels hmm. very bad. Like I have a hard time, like real talk. I have a hard time doing my job right now because I feel like we're on the. If you imagine this as a pendulum or a, a teeter totter, mm -hmm. with one side being, you know, social good and, you know, also economic good, but acting well, the high road, and the other side being optimizing for as much cash withdrawal as possible. Mm -hmm. We're still on the optimizing for as much cash withdrawal as possible. And I used to be very optimistic because IoT helped you measure externalities. So things like pollution, you could tie it very easily back to its source and then think about ways to like charge for that. But that's not actually mm -hmm. what we're doing. Um, we're just, we're still optimizing for immediate ROI. And I think that's gonna. That's just gonna continue us on the same road we've been down, faster, and increase inequality. Continue to like push forward climate change. I mean, it's just really a bummer, just a real bummer, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm pretty optimistic. That's uh, that's interesting. Maybe it's just the 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 uh, my uh, mood coming into uh, this sort of studio, um, I feel like we're just touching the, the we're at maybe at the end of the beginning. We haven't, we've barely got started and there's just so much that we can do. And yeah, things are, bad things will happen. But I really feel like the solution to climate change is in our, our hands as an industry. If we can now, at the moment, we're connecting a tiny fraction of things to the internet. Uh, it's the internet of expensive things, not the internet of everyday things. And I really feel like there's so much good technology that can help us solve massive problems, like making our lean supply chains that we thought are lean. They're not actually lean at all. And I, I, I'm the reason I'm optimistic is I, I think that a lot of the savings that can be drive the bottom line will be really good for the environment. If you can get people to drive shorter routes and just 
replenish things that need to be replenished, then you can save a lot of money and a lot of carbon, and we may actually be able to, you know, stop the whole planet melting. But that's so just buy more efficiently using IoT is your kind of your hope there. I I think um, that's I think, not sarcastic too. I'm, no, I'm no yeah, yeah, no. I believe there's huge. I, I think. There's massive inefficiencies. There's huge wastage of food. Half the food that we make is wasted. Uh, there's, you just look at the delivery vehicles and the f- chaos in stores, and I think there's so much opportunity for efficiency. And ultimately, that's what's going to get out of this. Getting people to kind of do the right thing, never going to happen. Getting people to save money, uh, that could happen. And I think there's a lot of money that can be saved. And every time you, you know, you, you get more efficient, you're typically reducing carbon footprint. And uh, I mean, I'm a tree hugger. I buy carbon offsets and all that sort of thing. And But I realize most people aren't going to do that. And uh, it's got to be something that is helping profit as well as planet. Otherwise, it's just never going to work. That's my view anyway. I, I like it. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I hope your view is correct. <laughs> Stacy. it's that time in the show where we focus on you. Um, and I have to say, uh, you know, I'm a great admirer of your show. I, uh, I listen regularly. Uh, and I'm also just like fascinated with how you ended up in the position that you're in. You have like 100,000 people downloading your, your show. And how, how did you get this incredible job that you have, this uh, position you have in our ecosystem? I built it. Um, in <laughs> I think it was, it was serendipitous in the sense that I had covered semiconductors. I had covered cloud computing, just broad computing trends like supercomputing. Yeah. What it, they used to call it, I'm trying to remember what they called it, grid computing before it became the cloud. So I covered mm-hmm. all of that. And then I did wireless and data standards and just all kinds of stuff. And really, probably around 2010, 2012, it all kind of started coming together in a way that like, suddenly was exciting to people and it was called the Internet of Things. And I, I know that the term was invented in 1996. But it really, with smartphones, it really kind of opened up things for everyone. And so I just happened to have all the things I needed to be able to talk about it. And that's really how I got into this. And I'm just really lucky. So you you were a writer, a journalist at GigaOM, is that right? I, so how, I sh- how do you segue I sh- from that to creating a podcast? And, and I think you, you, you did some, yeah. you were part of Time as well. So small, small uh, uh, publication house. Yes, actually, it wasn't as much fun as GigaOM, believe it or not. Smaller is better, I think, when it comes to jobs and businesses. But mm-hmm. that's just me. Um, I actually started out covering finance because I, I like learning nerdy things. So like I took my CFA exam and I did not pass because quant is hard. Uh, but so I went to GigaOM, I did a lot of things there. And then when GigaOM exploded in like 2015, at GigaOM I had started a podcast on the internet of things. They made me do it. And I didn't wanna do it originally, but it was a lot of fun. Mm. And then when that exploded, I went over to Fortune and I was a senior editor there and I brought the I just kept doing the podcast because we were having a good time with it. And then Fortune was kind of like, yeah, it's fine if you do this in your spare time. I was like, don't you want a podcast? And they were like, no. 
And so eventually... I thought the podcast would be more fun. And my husband, he runs his own publication. So he's like, I'll do all the ad sales. I'll do all the hard stuff. You just get to write content. How mm-hmm. could I say no to that? And um, so you brought an audience with you from the GigaOM days? I brought an audience from GigaOM. It expanded a bit with Fortune. And then when I launched on my own, it went from... When I started the podcast again after GigaOM exploded, it had only like 6,000 downloads per episode. Mm-hmm. And then when I got, when I left Fortune, it had about 20,000 downloads per episode. And then it went up to about 25. And then the pandemic and changes of metrics happened. And now we're at about 20, 20 between 20 and 23,000 downloads per episode. Amazing. And so how did you, um, how did Kevin become part of the formula? What was, how did that come about? I've known Kevin since 2008. He joined GigaOM. Um, He was a mobile device expert and GigaOM bought his company because he was a blogger from way back when. And then we just, we stuck it out. And the second I was able, like, Kevin is awesome. He did it just for fun. The first, like from, I guess, April of 2015, all the way to like April of 2016, when I finally sold my first ad and I could actually pay him. Mm -hmm. So he just was like, yeah, I'll spend two hours a week talking about IoT with you just for fun. So and now now I pay him and it's awesome. And it's it's a great aspect to it. It just sort of seems to bring the thing alive. You both have very compatible views, but slightly different views. And so there's inherently a little bit of conflict and that kind of adds, uh, uh, maybe conflict is overstating it, but it's just great that uh, dynamic that you have uh, uh, between you. Do you kind of decide, do you have like a decision about wanting to introduce more or less how do you conflict or how do you decide on how you're going to interact uh on air we interact in person just like we interact on air i mean there's like there's maybe more singing by me in person but really it's it's pretty much the same like and that's i think that's why it works because we're really not faking anything we're just talking to each other and He's a super device gadget heavy person and I'm like super like hardware nerdy and kind of weird esoteric business things. And he is Mm -hmm. just like, he could care less, but he loves talking about like programming and things like that. So we, we work well together. You do, you do. You mentioned singing. So I think that's the perfect segue to our traditional three questions or one question about three songs. Um, are there three songs that are favorites or favorites as of today that have some uh, special meaning to you that bring back memories or something like that? Sure. So I think my <sighs> this is hard. This is not a song. It's an entire album. But when you hear the album, you're going to understand why it's not a song. It's mm-hmm. Brian Eno's music, ambient music for airports, because there's like uh-huh. four songs. That's I mean, that is it's my, I do it when I'm traveling. I do it when I like need to meditate, but can't meditate. So that's a really important, I know it's an album. Um, and then my favorite song probably is Paul Simon. Again, the whole album for Graceland is excellent, but I'm going to go with um, Graceland, the song, 
because it's just a good song. And then Patti Smith and Because the Night, because it's just awesome to sing to. So. All right. Wonderful. Uh, that's You're the first person who has included ambient music in their list, so congratulations on that. And it's actually a personal favorite of mine, so um, extra points. See? Do you do you do you know even the songs on there? Is no. no. Okay. See, I, I, I felt like a cheater, but I'm like, oh. No, I I I love um, uh, his Bush of Ghosts uh, thing that he did with um, uh, what's his name from the Talking Heads. Uh, um, anyway, David they, Byrne. Uh, David Byrne, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, and uh, I just. He's just a fascinating, uh, fascinating uh, musician. He's uh, one crazy musician, like just crazy thinker. I like it. Yeah, and done all the production with you two and uh, so many other great groups. Wonderful. Well, Stacy, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for uh, spending uh, time with us and sharing a bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. So I hope you enjoyed our show this week. For me, it was a real treat. Uh, I thought Stacy's background was fascinating. Uh, love hearing the story about how people start their businesses. And this is a unique one, one of the most influential podcasts. So if you have been, thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, please do tell your friends, rate us on whatever platform you uh, use and uh, look forward to speaking to you again next time. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.